This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Um, tonight I want to get straight into the Word. I believe what I'm going to share with you is going to be very important, probably as important as a message that I could ever preach. I always try, every time I get up to minister the Word of God, preach as if it's the last time that I would ever preach, that I'd have no regrets, that I held nothing back, not that I'm expecting to die just yet, just so you know, I'm not prophesying here, I'm declaring that I just take this place very, very seriously. We're dealing with the subject of being sold out, and last night and yesterday, morning I shared on the importance of you being sold out. Uh, right now, uh, you know, we were looking at being sold out to the gospel, being sold out in prayer, being sold out in, uh, in the anointing and so on. But tonight I want to deal specifically about the church being sold out and you being sold out to the things of God through and in your church. Now I want to give you for those who haven't been through my Bible school, the core values that I have for every one of our students, number one, I want my students to be lovers of God. Why? If we don't love God, we're religious deadheads. We don't need more religion, we need lovers of God. I shared it very briefly last night that when Demas, having loved this present world, left Paul's apostolic team. Now, how many of you would have liked to have been a part of Paul's apostolic team? You would have seen some pretty impressive miracles, you understand? But how many of you know that in the environment of the supernatural, there is also great resistance? And the great resistance intimidated Demas, so much so that he left the ministry team and went back to business as usual. And Paul says, that he actually deserted him. <laughs> In military terms, that would be AWOL, absent without leave. He was absent without leave. It's a punishable offense in the military uh, with imprisonment and in times of war to be shot. If someone AWOLs on the battlefield, you would just take your soldier and you'd execute him because he let the team down. Of course, that's World War II, World War I mentality, things have changed now. You get a showing in the Rose Garden with your parents and you get CNN publicizing how brilliant you are to get uh, a prisoner who deserted his post and cost men their lives. Now you get a showing at the Rose Garden. It's amazing, eh? Just how few years can change things, how we see it. But let me not get on a political agenda right now. Number one, lovers of God. You're either going to love God or your love is going to go somewhere else. And your first commandment is to love God. Number two, I teach loyalty to your church. Why do I teach loyalty to the church? The reason I teach loyalty to the church is because I have a revelation from God wasn't something I studied for. It wasn't something that I read books about. Jesus came to me. 
Do you understand? There's a difference between me going to Jesus, but Jesus came to me and shared His love with me face to face how He loves the church and gave me a revelation of His presence in the church. Anyone who's hung around my life will know that I'm constantly promoting the local church. Not just because I've studied the Word and have written the book, The Glorious Church, but I had an encounter with Jesus where He revealed Himself to me in the church. So when I say where two or more are gathered, I'm not just quoting a scripture. I've seen Him in the church. Do you understand the difference? Because He is in the church, and He is loyal to the church, we must match His loyalty with our loyalty. He believes in the church. We need to believe in the church. I'm not going to go into the rest of the core values other than to share those two, because I believe we should love God and we should love our church. We should be loyal to God and we should be loyal to our church. The mission statement for Global Ministries and Relief is this, reaching the lost, discipling the found, building the church. Paul said that he was a co-laborer together with the Lord. What was he laboring in? He was a master builder, a co-laborer together with Jesus, building wisely the foundations for the glorious church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And so when we labor in God, we are not laboring for God. We are laboring with Him. We are joining Him in what He is doing in this holy construction, the church of God. The difference between building a building and building people is this, that this is made out of cement and steel and cladding, but when we work with the people of God, we are dealing with living stones, uniquely cut and shaped by God and added to the church according to His will and pleasure. And so Paul said to those who are laboring and co-laboring, take heed how you build. Because when we build, we are dealing with someone's eternity. We're not just dealing, if tomorrow a friend of mine is going to go in and have surgery, open heart surgery, they're going to replace a valve, they're going to do a bypass. How many of you know that's pretty serious stuff? Surgeons are brilliant. They're going to cut open his chest, they're going to rip it open, they're going to move arteries around, they're going to put in a valve. How many of you know that's brilliant? That doctor can prolong my friend's life for a few years. But when I go in and I work with someone, I'm dealing with your spirit, Zach. When we're sitting having a cup of Starbucks and talking about the things of God, I'm dealing with your eternity. If I mess up with you, I can cost you your life. Not just for 30 years or 70 years, but for eternity. That's serious business. Would you agree? Every time you get up to preach, 
You're dealing with someone's eternity. Your decisions that you make behind your desk, moving things around, appointing people, don't just affect these lives for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, next 50 years, but for their eternity. I would say that's serious business. God's business I take seriously because He's given me the responsibility of someone's spirit, soul, and body before God. I think of politicians, presidents, kings and queens. They're appointed by God. God says they, His hand is going to place them in power, both the corrupt as well as the good. God knows He's not caught unaware. However, when you're called into the ministry of God, and we are all called at some level, but especially us who are called into the ascension ministry gifts, we deal with someone's eternity. The president deals with the nation for four or eight years. Some of our senators, way too long. They should put a term on there and limit them because they become professionals. And there's too many hidden agendas, too many uh, people coming to them and offering them financial return. Political favors are being done. I think there should be a term limit. But what do I know? I'm an African-American. Been here a few years. I don't like professional politicians that make it their career because they sell their soul to special interest groups. I like the old days of George Washington when you were a lawyer, a doctor, a farmer, and you came and you served your country for a couple of years, and you went back and you got back to your business, your farm, your family, and you did your duty, and there were no special interest groups buying your soul. Just me. I think sometimes we need to go back and look at our foundations and remember what made this nation great. Anyway, again, I digress. But these things are important for us because they affect our life, our kids, our investments, our businesses are all determined by our presidents and our senators. You understand? But we deal with someone's spirit. We deal with their eternity. And because of that, I think it's a holy business. And so building the church isn't to be taken lightly. The decisions we make, the programs we establish, the things that we do, we are to weigh them very carefully because we are dealing with someone's future. These children, the programs we bring in for them. They are going to be, our, if the Lord doesn't return in our day, they are going to be the future evangelists, pastors, apostles. We lay in foundations that will one day go into their marriage, into their family, and we've got all this stuff coming from secularization, trying to pollute their value system, their cultural worldview. And we have to instill in just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning a biblical worldview, and the school system and the media has hours and hours a day to instill in them godlessness. Pray for your Sunday school teachers, these children's workers, 
they have to do a good deep work very quickly. <laughs> I hope this makes sense to you as we deal with the seriousness of the church. I believe in the church with all of my heart. The church wasn't designed by man. It was the original plan of God. The church wasn't God's B plan after Israel. Israel didn't work out, so God raised the church. God always had the church in mind. Even Israel was called the church in the wilderness, the holy people of God. Now, of course, because of the feast of Pentecost, two loaves were taken and waved before God. Notice that those two loaves, unlike the feast of first fruits, where they just wave the, the, the bread before God or the corn before God, the wheat before God, this was baked and had leaven. The upper room, the Jewish outpouring, the second outpouring, the house of Cornelius, the Gentile outpouring becomes one loaf. Why was there leaven? Because the church would never be perfect until Jesus comes. But we're empowered. We're powerful, but we are imperfect. Our imperfection should not be a backslidden, lukewarm heart. Our imperfection should be our humanity, our frailty, and uh, just the environmental pressures that we grow up in. The church should be the household of faith, sold out people. When you read the book of Revelation, he addresses the people, the church, because they weren't in first love, they weren't sold out, they had allowed compromises to set in. How would Jesus address the modern day church? What would he say to us concerning the state of our spiritual well-being? I think he'd have some things to say to the leaders and to the people. And I think he'd say something like this, get your house in order, get my house in order. I want things to be done my way, not your way. The church is God's plan. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But we also need to know Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, that Christ, having loved the church, gave himself for it. He didn't just give himself to die for our sins, but he gave himself for a glorious church, a bride without spot and without wrinkle. Hallelujah. Because he believes in the church. He died for the church. He died for a glorious church. And he's not just coming back to rescue us from the antichrist spirit and the false prophet, but he's coming to what? To get his bride. Who's that? The church. When you're saved, you're saved into a personal relationship with God. You have a relationship with the Father, you have a relationship with Jesus, and you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. If you start to press into the Godhead, you will discover that there are different 
ways that God deals with us. Sometimes you're, when we pray, we pray to who? Our Father who art in heaven. We are praying to the Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. We have Jesus living in us. How? By the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us. And so we, we relate with the Godhead. We speak to the Godhead. One God, but we understand that the Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But each are unique in how they operate in our lives. And so we minister to them and they minister to us as one. However, we're not just brought into a relationship with God. We are brought into a relationship with God's people, the church. No one can authentically be saved and just have a relationship with God. You have to have a relationship with God's people. Now, what if you lived on an island and you were the only citizen? Well, that church is going to stay very small, and when you die, it's going to be no more. But I'm talking about in normal civilization, you will find that you are a part of the redeemed. You are saved, and you are added to the church. When you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? You are also what? Baptized into the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church. The church is both universal, mystical, but it is also visible and local. And so you are added to what? Both the mystical, invisible church, the body of Christ, but you are also added to the visible church where you relate with God's people in a local environment. Some people just want to have a relationship with the mystical church which really means they love God, but they don't like God's people, <laughs> which is a contradiction to the new creation. You can't say you love God and hate God's people. Then there is a problem. Something is wrong. You're living out an offense, and the Bible says you're not born of God. And so we have to understand that God believes in the church. God ordained the church. God has made a plan for the church to be glorious, powerful, and magnificent. And so He lives in the church. If you want to find where God is, He is in the midst of the seven lampstands. He's not just in the universal church. He is in the local church. He's walking amongst the seven lampstands. He's in the church. When he spoke to John on the island of Patmos, he gave him a message to send to the seven churches, which were not just seven church ages, but there were seven local churches that each had their strengths and weaknesses, and he addressed these things, and where there were weaknesses and compromises, he said, get your act together, because he's in the church. He is the builder and the possessor of the church. On the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Spirit. And, uh, but when you read down and you go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then those who gladly received his word, Peter's word, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Who is the them? 
the church or the apostles and the 120 that had been in the upper room and they had gathered in the name of the Lord. So that was probably the gathering of the first church in the upper room. Immediately they grow by 3,000. They now are 3,120 people. And they, the 3,000 are added to them. Notice they are added. Who added them? The Lord. They were added by the Lord. And I'll show you that if you go to verse 47. Because the Lord added to the church daily those who have been saved. So the Lord added them to them. And the Lord continued to add to the them. So the them there were then the 3,120 grew every day as God was adding newborn souls to the church. This is critical because we need to understand that in a sold out environment, the day of Pentecost, the 120, they were sold out. 50 days earlier, they had, they had abandoned Jesus. But after resurrection, He had restored them, and they had come back. They were now sold out. Peter, who had deserted and had denied Jesus, he gets up in front of the, mouse, the masses, and he begins to prophesy, and he begins to share the Word of God, and even says, you crucified Him. You put Him to death. Look at the boldness in Peter after resurrection power, after Pentecost power, the boldness and the authority that he's operating in. So he is now sold out. The 120 are sold out. And these that are coming in are sold out. These are not coming in with compromises and secret agendas. They're coming in because they know when you receive Jesus, when you say Jesus is Lord, your life is on the chopping block. You can be put to death at any moment's notice, and that would happen in a few years as persecution would ex 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 um, accelerate. But even right then, they were at risk. So when they said Jesus is Lord, and they were baptized, identifying with His death and burial, they were not coming in with secret agendas and compromises. They were sold out to the Lord. And they were sold out to the church. And I'll show you why. Because it says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly. Continued steadfastly. What does that mean? Here's what it means. They were totally committed. Or, to use what I'm teaching on, they were what? Sold out. To what? To the apostles' doctrine. As the 120 were teaching them what Jesus had instilled in them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you, deny your, if you deny yourself and take up your cross, you can follow him. They're teaching the, the, the word that Jesus had given to them, the apostles. And these believers are discipling them. They were committed to what? To continued steadfastly with consistency, with devotion, with loyalty to the apostles' doctrine, and to fellowship. Fellowship with who? With the saints. And in breaking of bread, that was what? 
communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. Look at that. They were devoted or they were sold out to these things. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I want you to notice something. In the environment of a committed church, the impact of the committed church affected the environmental spirits. The hearts of people were being arrested, and the apostles walked in great authority, and supernatural works were taking place. I truly believe that if God's people would get their act together, that we would see an escalation of the supernatural manifestations of God. When Jesus cleaned out the temple, straight after he cleaned out the temple, he began to work great miracles. Whenever the church is cleaned out, the power of God flows. And I believe that an environment of sold out people creates an environment for the leaders to walk in escalated authority and power in the supernatural. Now, all believed who believed were together, notice the unity, and had all things in common. This wasn't apostolic authority, now look after one another. It was spontaneous, it was birthed in their heart. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided among all as anyone had need. Great generosity broke out in this environment of unity, care, and compassion. And uh, they continued daily in this environment of compassion, generosity, and anointing. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. Now, you've got to understand, at that stage, the early church hadn't yet defined itself. So they were still going to the temple, to Solomon's porch together, and to, break, uh, and to minister publicly. But they also met daily in the houses. So they hadn't yet defined the corporate gathering as we would know it today. They didn't have church buildings. They had houses. And so they would go to the temple and they would meet in Solomon's porch and gather and discuss the word as a huge group. But then they would break off into these splinter groups, still one in the spirit, but they would fellowship together, they would eat their meals together, they would break bread from house to house, they would eat their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord in that environment of, of being sold out to God and to the church, the Lord added daily to the church. This is what I want to say. And I, I don't have long. I've got to close in the next few minutes. Um, if we would get our act together as the church, I believe the impact of our lives would touch society. The atmosphere in this nation would change. Now, I'm not dealing with Tampa. I'm not dealing with Orlando. I'm not dealing with Connecticut. I'm dealing with you in Olive Branch right here tonight. You understand? So I'm not speaking in generalities. 
I'm speaking specifically by the Spirit to you with the goal that you would become infectious and take it to those who aren't here tonight. We have to get our act together to go to a new place. How many of you agree we're not where we should be? The levels of commitment are going down. They should be going up. In the last days, it should be increasing, not decreasing. We should be going from glory to glory, not from a greater glory to a fading glory. We should be having an increased glory. We should have an increased faith. We should have an increased anointing, not a decreasing anointing. If I may be so blunt, we should have an increased growth, not a decrease. And so something's got to change. God's not going to change. We have to change. I want to share something with you. It's a track that comes from about 1956. I was about four years old when this was written. <laughs> it was entitled, Ten Ways to Kill a Church. If I had to summarize ten ways to kill a church, I would say, don't be lukewarm. Uh, don't be sold out. Be lukewarm. That's how you kill a church. Don't be sold out. Be lukewarm. Number one, don't come. <laughs> Number two, if you do come, come late. Number three, only show up when the weather is good. Number four, find fault with everything and or everyone. Number five, Never accept responsibility. Number six, get mad if you're not appointed to the leadership team. Number seven, spread your offenses and disagreements. Number eight, do nothing more than absolutely necessary. Number nine, hold back on your giving to the Lord. Number ten, don't reach out to the unchurched. I think we're living in that kind of an environment. And what we're doing is we're actually killing the church. You know, and I'm going to make a statement. The devil is against the church. However, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. So the devil wants to destroy the church, but he can't. However, he can. How? By you destroying the church. He doesn't have to do it. You can end up doing it. The gates of hell will not prevail. But you can destroy it. Go read the book of Revelation. He says, if you don't get this thing together, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What's that? I'm going to remove you from this society. You will no longer be visible. We are under attack, but we have to be careful that we don't become the medium that he uses to attack. We have to watch our hearts. We've got to watch our motives. Hell is against your personal success, your personal growth, but he's definitely against the growth of the church, and I'll prove it. Every time the church starts to gather momentum and things start going right, the income starts increasing. We start strategizing towards bringing more people on staff and so on. What happens? 
dissension, strife, something goes wrong. Am I correct? You have an elder get annoyed. You have a deacon start spreading rumors. You get someone offended who's got influence, and bam, before you know it, you've got 30 people gone. 30 people. There goes the increase. Now you're back to where you are. You're getting ready to go to multiple services, and suddenly you're looking like, how do we preserve one service? This happens around the country, around the world, and I've seen it over and over again. And so we have to watch that when we start to pick up steam, when we gather momentum, we've got to walk humbly before God and make sure we're moving in the Spirit, not allowing these things to go wrong. We've got to fight against the strife, this thing that wants to slow down the growth and the momentum of the church. I would love to continue, but I've run out of time. I believe in church membership. I believe everyone should belong to a church. I believe those that call this church their spiritual home, that they should be sold out to God and to the church. They should make it a high priority to be in the gatherings as much as humanly possible, just like the early church, not forsaking the assembling together. They should make it a priority to go out their way. You will never gain traction and momentum without sacrifice. Anything that is important is going to take effort and sacrifice. But it's well worth it when you start to see the miracles and the souls and the growth and the things that are going to happen, then the sacrifices are well worth it. But in the beginning, someone always pays a price. Someone pays for the chairs that aren't yet filled. Someone pays for the building that others will one day fill. Someone pays for the sound system and works that people practice now to be on the stage two years from now. People are always investing into the future of the church. We are giving into our non-members. We are sacrificing. When they come in, they come in and they look around and they don't even know what we've done, what you went without so that they can have the benefit of this beautiful building where you went without your vacation, when you, instead of getting a new car, you kept your other car for another two, three years. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You made sacrifices for this, and they're going to walk in, and they're not even going to appreciate it because they're not thinking like that. But we didn't do it for them. We did it for Him and for them. We're not doing it so that one day they would applaud us and recognize our sacrifice. We just know that they too will make sacrifices for the future extensions and advances that will have to take place. And we'll step up again and make more sacrifices and they will make sacrifices and then others will come in because the Lord will add daily to the church. I believe members should be uh, active. They should attend. They should pray. They should give. They should find something to do in the church. They should be engaged in evangelism, bringing their harvest to the church, not just praying for people and saying, go find a good church. 
They should say, you need to come to my church because I know you will be discipled, you'll be taught, you'll be trained, and uh, we have a great worship team, we have a great pastor, you're going to be looked after well in this church. The other day I was doing Christian television, and I, he said, would you share the gospel? I shared the gospel when he was done. He said, now people, if you prayed that prayer, get a Bible and start to read it. Start to read in John's gospel. And I'm thinking, that's quite a complex little book to start at. But anyway, I'll let that one go. Then he made the statement, go find a good Bible church. And I'm thinking, if I was a brand new convert and I heard, go find a good Bible church, would I go to the Catholic church? Because after all, they've been around for eons of time. They've got beautiful buildings, old, tradition, dependable, reliable. Do I go to a little storefront? What's a good Bible church? We make these statements, we don't even know what we're saying. And what I say is, if you lead someone to Christ, you should have enough belief in your church to say, you know, you need a good church. They'll say, well, I grew up in such and such. Yeah, but you weren't born again in such and such. You attended there for 30 years, but you weren't born again. You weren't spirit-filled. You weren't raised in the Word of God. You know nothing about the Word of God. So obviously, that's not a great spiritual environment. You need to get into a place where you can grow, where someone is going to watch out over you and bring challenge to your life. I attend such a church. And if you don't believe in your church, then you should find one that you can believe in. I think you should be proud of your church. You should think this is the best church in the city. That's why I go there, because number one, God's there. I love the ministry team, and I'm a part of it. We ought to believe in our church. If you don't believe in your church, you've got a problem. You need to have confidence in your church. We should um, pray. For the church. We should stand together. And when things do go wrong, and things always go wrong in a church at some time or another, don't just abandon because something goes wrong. You don't abandon your marriage because something goes wrong. You don't abandon your kids because they do something wrong. You don't abandon your school because something goes wrong. You don't abandon your football team because they lose a game. You don't even abandon them if they lose. Like I think the Cubs, you know, the Cubs fans, they're like loyalists. They haven't won forever. Have they ever won? But the Cubs fans are Cubs fans, even though they keep losing. Why? Because they belong. Things go wrong. And, you know, ooh, if only I was a part of the early church. The early church, go read the epistles. So much was going wrong. But they still believed and stayed. And if you will believe and stay, we can grow and do a great work. You need to be sold out to God. And you need to be sold out to your church. Let's stand and pray. I believe in church. Because it's called His body. It's called his bride. It's called his people. It's called his household. 
It's called his nation. You understand? He supports it. He backs it. He believes in it. And, you know, if you want to be smart, get into whatever he is into. And he is into the church. So what's God doing? He's into the church. How do you know? Because he said, I will build my church. What's God doing? He's building his church. What well, doesn't look like it's going well, that's because people are taking it for granted. They're taking it based on culture, not on revelation. If you knew the church by revelation, you'd never doubt it. You'd never quit on it. You'd be the most loyal of all members in spite of the many things that go wrong. If I showed you my back, I can show you all the stab wounds that I've received over the years, all the things that have gone wrong. But I refuse to allow the wounds that have come upon my life to affect me in my image of the church. I believe in the church because He is there. And because we are imperfect doesn't mean that I quit on the church because after all, Christ came to save sinners. We're all a work in progress. The very nature of the church is that we desperately need Him, and none of us have arrived. So why do we hold the church to such a high standard that we can't reach it when we are the trophies of grace? So when things go wrong, I just remind myself, we are the redeemed. Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous. Religions are filled with righteous people. We are, the church is filled with people made righteous by the blood of Jesus and only by the blood of Jesus. In ourselves, we had nothing going for us. We could offer nothing. Jesus had to die for us. We couldn't die for ourselves. Our discipline, our giving, our generosity, our behavior was not enough to save us. It took the blood of Jesus. So if we're in the church, it's because of what He did, not because of what we did. And even when we have served for years, if we get brutally honest with ourselves, none of us have arrived. None of us have a right to point a finger in accusation because we're all doing our best with what we've got. And so let's pursue God with all of our hearts and be sold out to His work and to His plan. Lord God, thank You for Your people. Give them revelation tonight through these simple words, O oh God. To understand your church, not by culture, by tradition, by religion, but by revelation. Just like you revealed to Peter, uh, uh, God, that the church, that upon this rock, that you would build the church, the revelation. God, let the revelation be of Christ, the foundation of the church, the cornerstone, the chief capstone the builder, the possessor, the preeminent one. Let it be because of you in the church. God, come, grant us holy insight to see the church the way you see it, to love the church the way you love it. God, to understand that no greater love has any man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends and May we truly find friendship in the church and live sacrificially for one another to build and to invest into one another, to grow one another, and to see one day that when you return, that, oh God, the church would be triumphant, glorious, magnificent, fulfilling the will of God 
in our generation and in our nation. So God, uh, touch this people, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now before I hand over to Pastor, is there anyone here that God has dealt with you tonight concerning your heart and concerning the church? Is there some adjustments that you need to make? Oh, I've been wounded by the church. I'm suspicious of the church. I don't like the church. Things go wrong in the church. But tonight God spoke to you and you need a heart adjustment. The other day a friend of mine, yeah, the other day a friend of mine was in an accident. A car rammed behind and uh, he was injured. And so today he went to the chiropractor to get some adjustments because the whiplash threw him out of alignment. What we want to do is bring you back into holy alignment. Sometimes accidents happen, life happens, things go wrong, but there is realignment for your life. Anyone here need realignment concerning the church and your commitment to the church? Anyone else? This is very important. It's sold out. We want to get you sold out, but there needs to be healing. God bless you. God bless you. People get wounded along the way. Life happens. Accidents happen. Stuff. Anyone else? I feel like there's more. Anyone else? I'm not trying to milk this thing and press it too long, but I do want you to get your breakthrough. All right, those who prayed, uh, raised your hand. Pray this prayer. Everyone join me. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for adding me to the church. You're in the church. I'm in the church because you're in it. You believe in it. Therefore, I believe in it. You building it. Therefore, I'm going to build it. You watching over it. I'm going to watch over it. You're a part of it. I'm going to be a part of it. Here I am, Lord. I am yours. And you are mine. Hallelujah. Help me, God. Heal my heart. Heal my life. Heal my wounds. That I may be strong, bold, courageous, strengthened by your hand, healed by your love. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Just worship Him for a moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ask God to renew your love for Him and for the church. Touch these that raise their hands, O oh God. Bless them, fill them, heal them in Jesus' name. Those who needed to raise their hand and they didn't, God, touch them, heal them. Those who ought to have been here tonight, O oh God, use this uh, video, O oh God, to get into their homes and touch them. And restore them right there in their homes. Let them pray these prayers that we have prayed, O oh God. Use them, touch them, bless them. Heal them in their homes. Those who are at work but couldn't be here. Those who were too lazy to be a God. Let them see your love for the church. And let them become a part of what you're doing again. Sold out to you and sold out to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a shout of praise.
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You